Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Archibald from Western University. As you know, many speech language pathologists in Canada are employed in schools. Their job is to support children with communication disabilities in accessing the curriculum and achieving their academic and personal potential. It's a challenging job. So many schools, so many students, and not many SLPs. Across the country, SLPs are finding unique solutions to providing the best possible services to the students and school teams with whom they work. In this podcast, our guests describe their innovations in school-based speech-language pathology. Thanks for listening as we shine a light on some brilliant projects. Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. And I'm really happy today to have uh, my colleague, Marianne Shelton, join us. Marianne, would you introduce yourself, please? Sure. So I'm Marianne Scouten, actually, and I am the supervisor for communication, language and speech services at the Upper Grand District School Board. Thanks, Marianne. Sorry about that. Scouten, you'd think after all these years, I would be getting that right. Thank you for your grace. (laughs) So uh, will you tell us there uh, about your your service delivery model, your your resource context there at the Upper Grand? Sure. So at the Upper Grand, uh, we have 10 SLPs and we have nine CDAs. And our service delivery model is, or I should say our service priorities are primarily Um, supporting students' oral language in the early years um, and identifying students with developmental language disorder. Um, And then uh, also uh, another area where we find ourselves um, uh, work uh, with a lot of um, involvement is in the area of augmentative and alternative communication, where we're supporting students uh, from school entry to school exit, which could be age 21. So we do a lot of work in between in terms of uh, language assessments and also, you know, referrals for school-based rehab services. And we are integrated into the, um, into system initiatives, such as the literacy initiatives that are, um, that are happening right now across the province. Um, But I'd say in terms of our direct student contact, our primary focus is oral language in the early years and supporting students who are minimally verbal or nonverbal throughout the school years. Great. Thanks for that, Marianne. Um, So uh, you guys have a particularly unique aspect to your service delivery model. We're going to talk a lot about that. But tell me, first of all, what were some of the major challenges that you noticed that 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 spurred you on to that? So many years ago, uh, we had we were we were finding that many of our referrals were coming from classroom teachers who actually were concerned about the students' literacy skills. Uh, so that was more of the t- typically a grade one referrals. So kids who are struggling with learning to read um, or they were for students in kindergarten who had pronoun errors or articula- articulation errors, which may or may not have been um, you know, developmentally appropriate. So they were, the referrals were not necessarily 
the uh, capturing the population that we felt we could make the greatest impact with. So looking, so we needed to support our educators in identifying oral language difficulties and uh, identifying uh, identifying children who are struggling to be put forward for an assessment. Um, and also we needed to educate our, our educators on who was, who to help us, who to refer to us. And, and then we needed to, um, um, and then we needed to have a plan for um, supporting our, supporting these students in a way that was then systematic across the, across the entire board. So uh, we had a lot of, a, we had kind of a patchwork approach where uh, so we were getting a lot of students who weren't really our ideal candidates for speech language pathology support. And then we were also finding that, you know, some SLPs were uh, comfortable providing a uh, providing sort of a discrete skills sort of approach to their uh, to for intervention. Others had a different approach that was more classroom based. And, and so we also recognized in in helping the educators identify who to bring forward, then we needed to uh, tighten up our approach by ensuring that we had a universal um, system for how we were assessing and what are our pathways for providing intervention. Right. Thanks. So those are, are two really good uh, reasons, right? So that to think about coming together, right, is not only you know, who's coming in, but what you're offering as well. You know, I really like that, that you were considering those, both of those aspects. So tell me about uh, what you came up with then. What did you do? So we had the great fortune of attending an ASHA conference back in 2007. And while we were there, we listened to Sandra Gillum uh, speaking about uh, literacy-based language intervention. And, uh, and so literacy-based language intervention was a method of intervention, which was um, where you were providing um, a contextualized approach. So, um, so you had a large goal that, or sorry, you had, um, you had a context that would a storybook would provide, and then you, you had smaller um, strands of of skills that you were working on that were all connected to the to the uh, to the context. So you would do little bits. You would do syntax. You do vocabulary. You do grammar. But it was all. It was sort of a whole part whole approach. And we we sat. My colleague Trudy Counter and I sat in this workshop, and we were just buzzing because we thought, you know, this is what we this is what we need to do. This is what we're already walking, we're already beginning down that road in terms of more of a narrative approach. And, um, and, and this sort of, this gave us a framework to investigate further and to develop into a program. So what we did was we started with one lesson plan, uh, which is how it always starts, one lesson plan uh, for a uh, for a student who was struggling with oral language in in uh, grade one, and where we where we are today is we have a 
language intervention program, which we call Language Intervention Through Engaging Stories, so LIGHTS, where we have four strands where we take students from, uh, where, where students can be anywhere from uh, senior kindergarten until the end of grade two. And we work on, uh, we work, we use stories to provide a narrative framework. And then we develop, um, we work on specific language goals, such as oral language, uh, grammar, uh, verbal reasoning, using sort of com complex, um, complex uh, sentence uh, constructions. Um, and then also story structure. And it expanded into a four-stage program because we very quickly uh, realized as we were working with students and getting feedback from SLPs and CDAs who were implementing our program that we needed to be more, uh, we're looking at story structures, which are more temporal um, stories. Um, and so, and our Grammatical uh, goals tended to be more like compound sentences. Um, and then in our second stage, we're working with students who are ready to begin uh, learning early grammatical uh, story grammar. Um, and we're introducing a little bit more complex sentence constructions and more, uh, and so more of the tier two vocabulary that we're targeting. And then in stage three, we expand uh, further to stories which have um, multiple episodes and uh, obstacles in them and, um, and more advanced verbal reasoning tasks. And then finally, in the final stage, we're working with chapter books where, student, where the students are learning to apply their knowledge of story grammar and um, as it in these chapter books, it occurs that in each chapter, there's a tight story grammar. Uh, and so we, and then we compare um, chapter to chapter and then over chapters. And we compare, uh, we compare mm -hmm. uh, sort of character traits and so forth. So really bringing it all together sort of at a higher, at a higher, um, a higher language level in the, in the final stage. Wow. So that's quite uh, a, a quite a beautiful program and that evolution of those stages. Let's uh, talk about um, uh, their design just a little bit more before we and then we'll I, you know, I know folks will want to hear about how you execute it. But uh, first of all, the lesson plans or the work themselves. So they're um, the stories you're all uh, where are you getting the, your books from your stories from Marianne? So it was important to us that we were using authentic children's literature. And so we wanted stories that were um, engaging. And, um, and we also wanted to have tight control over the, the, story, uh, the story complexity. And so we have, um, so, you know, we, we created our, we had our own rubric that we were using. Um, and typically the stage one books were like the Errol, Eric Carle type books um, that were where the, 
the it was it was there were temporal sequences. So you think about um, the hungry caterpillar, for example. When we went to um, introducing story grammar, again we wanted to have quite tight control over uh, over the elements of a story. So we chose we chose the Usborne books, Farmyard Tales, because they had very simple story structures. And the characters and settings were typically the same uh, across stories. So we could gradually build children's knowledge of story grammar and story structures and the icons that we used um, without sort of without having any kind of um, there were no there were no we were controlling the variables of having you know, uh, different illustrators, different story, uh, different characters, different um, uh, sort of different types of, of books when our, our, uh, our goal was to establish the student's understanding of story grammar. The, when we get to the third stage, there things open up wide. And there we have storybooks like um, Russell the Sheep, um, how I became a pirate. Um, yes, of course, the names escape me right now, but they're all very engaging. Um, and of course, we've been doing this for a while. And so, you know, everyone had their ideas already about, you know, what were the books that kids really responded well mm. to? And then we'd look them over and we'd, we'd say, okay, that's a stage two, that's a stage one, that's a stage three. Um, and then finally, with our with our final um, stage, we did the magic treehouse. And again, we were increasing the complexity by by introducing a chapter book. And we didn't have you don't have pictures uh, like the picture books in the previous stages. Um, so again, we wanted to control other variables so that the um, the the chapter books. Um, have the same characters um, and the same the same setting that starts the book with um, with the, the children climbing into the treehouse that ex goes into another um, another uh, time and place. Mm -hmm. um, and we wanted the Magic Treehouse uh, series not just for um, not just because it had a uh, there was a, a constant across the different books in terms of the characters, um, but also because there were parallel stories where we could make connections between, um, you know, the, the story and, um, and the setting and all of the, and history and so forth. So making, uh, you know, when we think about text to text and text to world, we were, uh, the connections that we work on with kids, we were very intentional and explicit about um, about that um, about helping children, um, uh, you know, move beyond move beyond the story and and make connections to their world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's interesting. I was just going to say that text. The, the comment a bit more on that text to text, text to world. There, what what are you meaning by that phrase? So that is very much from um, EduSpeak, I suppose. I've been in um, school boards um, for most of my career, and I've learned that uh, through my work with teachers. So 
uh, when you're working on when you're working on comprehension of a story, uh, teachers are teachers uh, help children to uh, to make text to uh, sort of text to self connections, text to text connections, and text to world connections. So they'll use prompting questions um, like. Um, I remember when that happened to me when they're reading a story. And so that's text to self. Um, text to text is, you know, when they're making connections between, you know, the actions or the setting of a previously read story um, that, the, that the class has read. And then text to world is making those uh, leaps from, from the textbook, um, or sorry, from the storybook to, um, uh, world events or what they know their experience in the world. Oh. Um, and so we try as much as, as possible with our language intervention program, um, to use our goals are the goals that are important for, um, supporting students oral language uh, so that they can achieve, um, social success because it's group work and academic success right but we so, are oh, oh sorry mary maybe I, i'll I just, just you were gonna go i was just gonna um get you to think uh, describe it a little bit more about those lesson plans right so a little bit more about um the structure of that lesson and how the way you've designed that allows for flexibility of meeting the needs of different students mm -hmm. so every lesson plan has the same um, has the same overall structure. So we start with um, a read aloud, it's an interactive um, read aloud, and then we move to, um, and then we move to uh, a, a vocabulary task or a, gram a grammatical task or a, a sentence structure or something related to a sentence structure. Uh, so for example, um, and we always, we, we make connections, um, the kinds of sentence structures that we're working on would match, uh, would match a concept that was taught in the book. So if we were working on the sentence construction of if then, um, and we're doing, let's say the, the gingerbread man, um, we would say, you know, if the gingerbread man um, gets, if the gingerbread man gets um, uh, gets wet, then he's going to then he's going to break. Or if the gingerbread man gets caught, then the cow is going to eat him. Um, so we're this is how we're making. So when I had mentioned earlier how we move from whole to parts to whole, um, we're always um, even in our smaller discrete skills, we're, we're making the links to the context of the story. At the, the stories, the lesson plans tend to run over two sessions. And our second session with the story is uh, again, a dialogic um, reading of the book. Uh, we're using Bloom's questions as we're reading the book. Uh, we may have, um, in either the first reading or the second reading, we'll do we'll have selected our tier two vocabulary that we've explained um, in the context of the book. Um, we'll continue from the the second reading into another activity, which might be 
um, it might be creating uh, the story grammar map. So we use icons and we develop a, uh, we do, we are teaching the children to draw pictographs to represent the main elements of a story. Um, and then at the very end, so here we go, when we get said whole to parts to whole, at the very end of the second session, we're putting it all together with a story retell and uh, using our story maps with the pictographs, the clinician will have, you know, also written on the story map, you know, the cohesive tie or the vocabulary, a vocabulary word that was highlighted. So as visual cues, because these are non-readers typically, um, uh, to enhance the storytelling, uh, the story retelling at the end. So it's a very rich, um, it's a very rich two-part lesson plan. Um, and we are using uh, what we researched as to the, as the methods um, that are evidence-based to promote uh, oral language, whether it be vocabulary um, or expressive language or, um, or um, uh, sort of narrative skills. Right, right, nice. Does it, do, does a parallel story come in then? Uh, where does yeah, that so fit? That after the children have established a, an understanding of story grammar. So by the end of this stage two, and kids in that eight point are probably end of their end of SK, beginning of grade one. Uh, at that point, we introduce um, a parallel story. So, and we do that, uh, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, where we introduce uh, in stage two, we're using the Usborne books where we have similar the same characters and the same setting. And that's how we we in, uh, we intentionally and build the child's knowledge of a story grammar. Well, once we have that, then we then we read another um, Usborne Farm Tales book. And th at that point, we do a comparison uh, of two of a and we make uh, of a and we use that as a parallel story. Mm. So. Uh, when we and then so we've established it with this this very controlled Usborne stories, and then after that we've now broke we go into more varied um, uh, authentic children's literature uh, where we have uh, where we use parallel stories that are often you know created by the same author and illustrator, and we have students uh, again use their so. At, use their story grammar, story grammar map, and they will create uh, a, a pictographs for the parallel story. And then they have this visual to help them explain how the stories were the same and how they're different. So comparing and contrasting uh, two stories. Right. Thanks. Yes. And so all of that is written out in your lesson plan so that your clinician can be moving between them and you, you and, uh, and and really enhancing us depending on those child's goals. So let's talk about how the clinicians now and how the program uh, itself is executed. How is it set up? So we have uh, so uh, we see children in groups of two or three. And they're 
grouped according to their um, to you know their goals, whether they're sta in stage one, stage two, stage four, stage three, or stage four. And um, some elements of lights are are uh, are optional. So we have our our main framework with for lights, which is you know the interactive story. Uh, you know that it's it's repeated. That's a con that's a constant. Teaching story grammar is a constant. Um, grammar um, might not be as a, a goal for some children. And so it might be something that is uh, is not a part of, of certain groups' lesson plans, or direction following might not be part of some lesson plans. So we individualize the group according to what our assessment results have have shown us about what these children need. But the overriding so so there's differences between uh, between groups who are doing the same program. Mm. Um, and so in that way, we've individualized, but we've also maintained a, uh, a consistency. So, so that uh, we know, um, we know the trajectory of, of what we want to achieve in, in um, uh, for, for that child's uh, block of therapy based on the stage that they're in. And should that child move to another school with another SLP, it's a very clean transfer into another school because the S the receiving SLP understands you know where uh, what has been achieved. They have the same lesson plans that uh, that the CDA has written notes on, um, and and then we can she can move along with that child's uh, program in a new group in the new school. Mm -hmm. And so those groups then uh, are, are run by the CDA uh, and the, the timeline, how does, uh, how does that work? Yeah, so groups are 45 minutes and uh, so of two to three children. And we have a, 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 we have a goal of 10 sessions plus or minus two. So if uh, so, the minimum that anyone would have in a block is eight sessions, but they could have as many as twelve sessions. And some children um, may be seen for two blocks within a school year. Um, yeah, and so there, that it is. This children are withdrawn from uh, their classrooms and seen um, in the small group with the um, the CDA who has, as I had mentioned earlier, she has lesson plans, uh, which she is, uh, she is uh, writing her notes on. Um, and then that's how we can track student progress according to across all of the different, uh, the different goals. Right. Uh, we've also, we're actually implementing a new element to it this year, um, where we're asking, because the, the strategies that we're using for, uh, for our language intervention are really the same strategies that that educators can be using with all students um, throughout the day. Um, and really, if we're thinking of a tiered approach, and uh, then we would want it to be a cumulative impact that our language intervention is 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 giving an additional intensive um, uh, 
intensive practice for language goals that are already being uh, supported in the classroom in the same way. So in order to achieve that high ideal, we, uh, we have, we're organizing um, with the, every CDA is organizing with this classroom teacher, a time where she can come in and she can model um, a language intervention strategy from lights that can be implemented in the classroom. So the teacher has a menu to choose from. So she may choose um, interactive read aloud. She may choose uh, vocabulary, um, how to do what we call the super six vocabulary instruction. Uh, it might be how to, how to um, teach story grammar, um, icons while you're doing a read aloud. It might be how to create pictographs um, to support your oral telling or to help as a as a pre-writing planning tool. Um, and so the the uh, so instead of providing group session that's uh, one day, the CDA would be in class and providing either small group or whole class. Um, uh, modeling a, a high leverage strategy from lights. Right, right. And that will make a lovely solid tier one supporting that tier two um, intervention. Yeah, so yeah. We, we do have like, we, 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 we do do in services and we have um, around the strategies and we have our teacher, our teacher um, directed website. Um, but I think that a missing piece that that we we've been aware of uh, is you know how to bridge these 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 strategies into the classroom so that they they are that the teachers can see what they look like with their students mm -hmm. um, and then you know, and then can take off from there that she can implement them. Mm -hmm. And you've done a lovely article for the LD at school um, folks and provided some videos of your strategies. And we can link that in the show notes so people could have a look at those. Yes. Yeah, that's a great idea. So uh, I can see how this is really getting you that uh, that sort of universal approach across your board. So the speech pathologists um, all are, um, you know, the, the service is, is similar across your schools. Another thing you were looking to achieve is your identification, your referral. I know folks will want to know about that, that end of things. How do kids get into the group? How, what does that process look like? Right. Yeah, so as I had mentioned at the beginning, we were having a lot of um, difficulty um, pulling the right kids from the classroom in terms of um, getting them the, the assessment and intervention support that, um, that they needed. So we, we began by um, using the frog, one frog too many story uh, narrative task. Um, as a as a kindergarten evaluation tool, and we spent quite a bit of time um, going. At SLPs would meet with teachers and describe to the teachers, you know, who are the who are the kids that we're looking for um, from your from your classroom. 
And so we would talk about, you know, those kids that are really having trouble relaying information about the past or the present or the future, or, you know, you need a lot of help from you with um, to explain or describe so, so that they can get their point across, or, you know, they, they're not following your instructions or, or they're, when they answer questions, they're, they're off topic. Um, and so this, this, these kind of SLP to teacher uh, discussions um, help the teachers to be thinking about, um, you know, the kids in their class. And then we also said, well, you know, we know that uh, developmental language disorder is, um, is present in two out of every 30 children in a classroom. And we use, so we said to the teachers, you know, I want you to think, so now you know, like you're, we've talked about this criteria, like who we're looking for. Now, I'd like you to find two children in your class who, um, uh, who, who fit that, uh, those kind of concerns around oral language. And, and then, you know, we'll, get consent and then um and then those are the children then that will will do our narrative evaluation and so this over over a number of years this became uh sort of our, our annual fall process until until we no longer needed to have as much time in the face-to-face -face with teachers explaining the criteria and it became better understood who who were the kids that that these speech pathologists were looking for, um, and um, yeah, and then our outcomes of the narrative evaluation tool helped show us um, helped show us the the students who were um, uh, who were struggling, and um, and then those were the the children who didn't meet criterion for the for the one frog too many uh, were ones that would be were on caseload. Right. So the speech pathologist then is receiving those uh, referrals and through that assessment is making plans for where they fit in the lights program, what should be their priorities in terms of goals, and then uh, creates the groups that the CDAs then conduct. Is that, is that sort of the flow? I Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so some we would also um, in we have in the past done uh, a PLS uh, screener uh, alongside the um, the narrative task. And more recently, we're we've moved to doing the self uh, P along with the because it's a fairly uh, quick um, assessment tool for um, uh, for students who are five years old. And uh, so the combination of the narrative evaluation and the self um, uh, sort of is sufficient. And we use the, the story retell as our language sample as well. Uh, and so that's sufficient to um, for the SLP to identify um, concern and, and what would be the stage that would be most appropriate for the student. Right. And so uh, is everybody starting at stage one and everybody goes through to stage four? How, what's the in and out kind of like? No. Um, so we have a, through our uh, collaboration with the University of Western Ontario, 
um, and Dr. Lisa Archibald, <laughs> uh, we have been able to develop a second um, narrative evaluation, which we can use as a post-test. So we use one frog too many, uh, can be the pre uh, is our identifying uh, narrative evaluation. And then we have um, frog goes to dinner, a parallel story uh, that we use as, po as a post-test. And so what we are, uh, and we have developed norms, local norms with uh, Western for kindergarten and grade one and grade two. And so at this point, as children are entering, as entering the, the caseload, um, if they, so whether it's through the kindergarten, they're in kindergarten and they're identified through the kindergarten um, evaluation um, process, or they're in grade one and they were on caseload in kindergarten. At the beginning of the of a block of therapy, the student has a narrative evaluation, and then um, at the end of the block of therapy, uh, the student participates in a, a post test. So we have our uh, we have our notes from the from the intervention where everything is being tracked. Um, according to uh, what are our key objectives for every aspect of the lesson plan. Um, and then also we have our pre and post data from the, uh, from the, uh, the parallel stories. So the intention then is that there would be students who, uh, who may reach, uh, who would reach a sufficient level that, that, uh, that they don't need to rotate onto uh, into another group, but rather, um, you know, the intentional implementation of language uh, strategies uh, in the classroom should be sufficient. And so, when we have our discharge um, our discharge report for that student, um, you know, we're making these connections to, you know you know, where they are in terms of their oral language skills and what are the what are the high leverage strategies which will help in the classroom to maintain and continue to build uh, that student's oral language skills. Mm -hmm. So that speech pathologist is then doing that work of the uh, the pre-assessments, determining where the child fits in the program and their goals, and then their post-evaluation, um, providing, of course, some supervision during the intervention, and then at the end, uh, doing that re-evaluation to decide where they should go next, I guess. Yeah, though we're actually, we're using, uh, initially we had, a, we had used the SLP and the CDA as a team uh, when they would do the kindergarten evaluations, and then the the um, and this was our method of having the the that the child would be telling retelling the story to a novel listener. Oh right. Um, and so, however, uh, COVID changed our practices in unexpected ways, hmm. and um, and so we began to to use our our. We, we began to do the narrative evaluation as uh, for kindergarten, uh, just the SLP alone. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but the CDAs have been well-trained in how to administer um, 
the narrative bell, what are the prompts that you're allowed to use and, um, and the extent of prompting that you can use. And so once a child is on caseload, it's actually the CDA who will do the post-test um, uh, run do the narrative and the transcription and then she'll give the um, she'll give the 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 um, transcription uh, to the SLP to score and interpret mm -hmm. so so we are sharing uh, we're sharing the the work because it is uh, it's certainly it's important to maintain um, you know progress monitoring that ensures that the students who need a service are receiving the service. And if they no longer need that tier of support, that, that we're bringing them back down to a tier one and, and supporting them um, in that, uh, at that level. Uh, and the only way we can really do that is if we are, if we have systems in place where we're monitoring um, mm. progress, um, in a systematic, uh, in a systematic way. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great point. So Marianne, you have some pretty talented and experienced CDAs. Can you talk about how that uh, group of people are being trained and how they're coming in and getting to the point where they can manage a program like lights? Yeah. So, um, we have, uh, we have really, over the years, we have really um, uh, included the CDAs in the, the development of lesson plans and in uh, providing feedback about what's working and what's not working. And so the capacity building of our, uh, that has happened in our team has happened over, over many years. And so then when we hire someone new, and we're starting at the beginning. Um, initially, it it I think it can feel daunting for the staff member um, who's new. However, we provide in our orientation we provide the overview and the rationale of the program. They receive the lesson plans and all of the materials, like the book bags that belong with the lesson plan, and then they are. Um, paired with a mentor CDA who they observe and uh, in, is their go-to for sort of the, the questions that arise as you, as you begin something new. So we've had really good feedback from the CDAs um, uh, who've come on new to the board. And um, yeah, and it's actually been, a, it's, it's become a, an efficient onboarding uh, process that we've um, that we've uh, implemented for a new staff. Right. We're drawing uh, to the end of our time together for this conversation, Marianne. Um, but let me ask you just a couple more questions. How has the program been received by uh, the board, the the educators around you? You know, we uh, we are. I, I truly feel that, that um, our services are valued by the educators. And, um, and when, we, when we relay the, the information about progress um, and, and the goals that, that we 
that we have are tied tightly to um, to the goals for uh, the for like curricular expectations. Um, I feel like there is a good teachers appreciate the transparency of how this relates to the work that they are doing with kids. The challenge is always um, talking about something, writing about something versus showing it. And so, so we're hoping that in the coming year, we're going to enter a new sort of enter a new phase of our program where we're going to be better we're going to be better at bridging that gap between clinic and classroom um, so that we can model. I, I don't feel that the language intervention in small groups for kids with oral language disorder, or developmental language disorder or language disorders in general, uh, that it would be effective if it were always run in the classroom setting. But it needs to, the teacher needs a natural opportunity to be able to observe. So I'm hoping our, our new um, sort of push in um, model uh, is going to help, uh, help make that, make that difference. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, yeah. And that you talked a little bit about that, that challenge that you're taking on this year to have that uh, classroom based component or uh, piece to, to the work. And that's going yes. to be really exciting to hear about. I will just say that uh, you've been a wonderful practice-based research partner uh, with us at Western, and uh, you know I think we've we've really been able to understand uh, answer questions that have arisen from your own practice, and also um, look at the effectiveness of the of the program as well. Well, your support. Um has been a phenomenal gift to the development of our program. Um, it's, you know, there is a lot, clinicians have, have a lot of, um, a, a lot of skill, a lot of knowledge, a lot of, 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 of experience of, you know, with, with implementing new programs of being creative and developing programs. Um, but we don't have the time to analyze our practice and um, and evaluate our outcomes. Um, that that and and you've provided that our research partnership has provided that gift to us, and it has indeed made uh, significant and valuable changes and contributions to our uh, to our daily practice. So I thank you, Lisa, for for your um, your role in the development of our uh, our programming at uh, at the Upper Grand. Thank you. Let's finish up with just a couple more questions. How do you and your colleagues support one another in the work that you're doing? Well, we do have a a way of identifying between us, within ourselves. Um, our strengths and our 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 abilities to um, to support one another through our talents. So those clinicians in the board, we have some clinicians in the board who have 
uh, particular passion for literacy, and they've taken on, they've been given time to develop that leadership in their, in, in, in the area of literacy. And they give, they give that back to the rest of the team uh, through what they learn. We have others who have really taken on um, uh, uh, leadership within the department on mentoring new clinicians, new, uh, new taking on um, student clinicians. And then that experience has also has has provided feedback to the group in terms of, you know, how to support um, how, how what 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 kind of changes need to happen in our language intervention, in our assessment processes, you know, through the, as the mentor, as the supervising clinician has this experience with new eyes coming on board mm -hmm. and new learner. Um, another clinician who has a real uh, gift for and talent for the, um, the early years population and and support and working directly with teachers and um, and uh, through sort of an in class uh, in class modeling and and that person has developed leadership skills which have contributed to um, to the rest of the team in terms of refining uh, their practices. So I guess how do we help one another? I think. Um, we are all leaders and we are all passionate and we're like a puzzle together where, mm. um, where we can each have a, we each can contribute and, um, contribute to the, to the puzzle as a whole mm. through, um, through our unique angle and, um, and providing leadership. Right. I love, I love that Marianne. So what last question, what some, what's one of your favorite outside of work activities? Well, not surprisingly, I love to read. A <laughs> <laughs> so, so, little bit outside of work. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But you know, it's, it's, uh, it's novels. So um, this summer has been a great, a uh, great uh, time of, of, you know, digging into some, some, uh, some fiction, right. Some just for personal sort of, uh, yeah. Escaping into the stories, eh? That that's Ex a great escape. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, Marianne, this has been a great conversation. I know our listeners are going to be really uh, interested in all you've had to say. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for listening to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. You can find all podcasts, transcripts, and links to the episode resources on the SAC website. That's at sac-oac.ca. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or you'd like to suggest a guest, please email the host, Lisa Archibald, at larchiba.uwo.ca. That's L-A-R-C-H-I-B-A at uwo.ca. You can listen to our podcast on all of the major podcast servers. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a thumbs up on your platform and share it through your social media and other channels.